All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to uh, Exodus chapter 16, and we're going to continue to walk, uh, going a little bit longer than I initially thought, uh, through uh, the story of Moses. Um, But I want you to think about this. What does it take for you to grow in Christ? We just uh, came through Easter, kind of Super Bowl Sunday for the church, right? And uh, people understood and have received Christ um, and understand the resurrection so that they are given new life. But what, would, what is God doing in your life and what are the ways in which God would actually, um, how would he develop your, uh, your faith? Where would God lead you? How would God lead you? Um, because here's what's just happened. Uh, the miracle of miracles, right? The miracle of miracles happened. The parting of the Red Sea, the horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. Uh, we, we went through that, and then we, on Palm Sunday we did um, Let's Sing a Song, right? We did the whole idea of what does worship look like? Let's sing a song. And so Moses wrote a song about, um, okay, and so they're all happy. And now what is God going to do? If you were leading someone into spiritual maturity, if you were the mentor of someone spiritually, how would you grow them? Where would you take them? How would you take them? What's the process by which you feel like you or someone who is younger in the faith? I mean, how does God grow us? I mean, we talked about this idea that, you know, um, this ascension, right? Let us start the ascension. Let us climb the holy mountain. And in a lot of ways, here's what we're doing in the book of Exodus. We're walking to Sinai. I mean, we've gone through, right, uh, the, the parting of the Red Sea and we're going towards Sinai. Remember, the Israelites don't know the law of God yet. They don't know the Ten Commandments yet. They don't know what God wants. But God needs to bring them right to a place um, that, will, um, that will challenge them. And I'm wondering if maybe you might resonate with this. Maybe God's leading you right now, or is you are in the presence of God leading you into this um, situation. And, and maybe you're asking, okay, why God? Why, why would you do this? Exodus 16. Right after the Red Sea, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam uh, and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So 45 days after the parting of the Red Sea, right? Maybe some of the, uh, of the emotion of the parting of the Red Sea has worn off. 45 days, where does God lead me and you? Where does God lead his people? After they had come out of Egypt... In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And here, in this moment, we realize God has led them to, uh, to a place, right, uh, uh, to a wilderness. You know, God has led us to a place where, um, what's the wilderness? The place where there's no food, right? A place where it's hard to find drink. And they have just come from a place that was I mean, it was the Nile River Valley. I mean, if you wanted something to eat, if you wanted something to drink, it was right there. Now, granted, they were slaves, but here's what they did know. I at least have something to drink, God. At least I have something to eat. Have you ever thought that? God, you've led me away from this place of, of, this, of this, um, you know, this place where I used to live. I used to feed on this and find myself uh, completely in getting all my needs met. And now, you've called me into this relationship with you, but as I follow you, you lead me to a place where, hey, 
I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I've never felt hunger pangs like I've felt right now. Maybe God's doing this to you. You have trusted him and you thought, well, here's what Christianity is. It is, um, it's about health and it's about wealth, right? If I become a Christian, I will be healthy. And if I become a Christian, then I'm going to become wealthy. I mean, that's the gift of the spirit, right? And when we see the story of sanctification in your life and in my life, no, he sees when he does the most unbelievable, the central act of redemption in uh, Old Testament, the very thing he does next, he leads his people, he leads you and me to a place, to, to a wilderness, to where we begin to feel like we're wandering in circles. God, what are you doing? When you understand this, right? When you, when you begin to realize, I think some of us ask, okay, God, what, what is it? Why would you lead me to this place? And I know some of you in this room right now, you're in that place. I mean, you are in a wilderness. And you have no idea what God is going to do. Well, listen to the response of the Israelites, right? Verse 3. When they're led back into the wilderness, and they remember they got three squares a day in Egypt. Granted, we had chains on our arms, on our wrists, and we had chains on our ankles. But, hey, at least we had three squares. Come on. What do the Israelites say? If we only had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, God, have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What does that sound like? Does that not sound like an addict in rehab? Does that not sound like some guy who's been out of, uh, away from the drink for a, a week? You've gotten me away over here, and you know what I feel right now? My whole body is withdrawing. All I feel is pain. Why would you do this to me? See, when I'm addicted to the world, when you're addicted to the world, and, and God begins to rehab us, we go through withdrawals because we have relied on certain things. Maybe God's called you out of a relationship, Right? And that used to be your God. And God is calling you from that. And you are going through withdrawal. And that's exactly what Israel is doing. They're going through the process of um, sanctification. But you know what? It hurts. And some of you are hurting. And you know what this, this, uh, this scripture says to you? You're supposed to hurt. That is exactly right. And that is so hard for us to hear. Because when you tell a friend about Jesus and they accept Jesus and, they, and then all of a sudden their life begins to fall apart. I accepted Jesus and now, you know what? I think my husband's going to leave me. What? What are you doing? I accepted Jesus and now my family doesn't want me around for the holidays anymore. I've accepted Jesus. What are you doing? And hey, this is where we have to trust. We have to trust that God will what? That God will meet your needs. And God will meet you in the wilderness. But what do we know? He's not going to meet your wants. He's not, excuse me, he's not always going to meet your wants. But he will always meet your need. And here's where we have to decipher in your own heart. What's the difference in your life? How would you differentiate between what you need and what you want? I mean, what are the, what are the, the factors when you decide, no, this is just... This is, this is a want, and, and, and this is a need. And here, Israel, they're saying, God, you won't provide. Now, what's the irony of this? 
the irony of this, he just parted the Red Sea. The horse and the rider were thrown into the sea. And at every spot where Moses and Aaron led the people to a place of faith, where they had to take a step of faith, and they didn't know the future every single time, what happened? God provided. And that's the journey, right? But when we hit pain, when you hit pain, when it hits in your marriage, right? When it hits when your kid looks at your life and says, you know what, Dad, I'm becoming a member, and I'm wondering about why, why do you and Mom fight all the time? I'm, God's given us joy, and I want, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, my, my kids are brought into my life to sanctify me, right? I, not just to be a blessing, but to actually be um, maybe a mirror sometimes for me. And I don't want to go through that, and I don't want to feel that, but here's what Paul says. When you feel that, and you in this room, I know you're feeling some of this. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that fars outweigh them all. What you go through, your momentary troubles, if if you were to put them on a scale... Your pain versus the glory that's going to happen to you, it's not even a... I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no comparison. He says later in Romans, he says, Look, I consider that our present sufferings, Westtown, you in your marriage, you in your family, you in your work, right? You with your temptation. I consider that our present sufferings are not comparable to what? To the glory that re- will be revealed in us. So as a parent... We're looking at these kids. And you know what part of this message preaches to you? Okay, here's what I'm supposed to believe in. That glory is going to be made in my kids. But glory means weight. Glory means understanding. And it means maturity. But you know what they're going to have to go through? They're going to have to go through pain. You're going to have to allow your kids to go through pain and see that, but you have to believe that on the scale of things, the glory that's being built in your kid is so much, you know, it's, it's not, of course you're going to let them feel the sufferings of the world, and you're not going to lie to them about the truth, right? And you're not going to coddle them and overprotect. I'm not saying not to protect our kids, but don't overprotect your kids because you know what happens? When we do that, and when we do that to ourselves, our kids then, they don't have legitimate strength. They don't become deep people. And we have conversations that are always superficial. That's the way we talk. That's the way your dinner table, it begins to just kind of hover around the superficial. And here's what he says. I want to create glory in you. But here's what I want. Okay, God, if you want to do that in me, give me the pill, right? What's, where's the pill for it? That's what we do in America. We give somebody a pill. Like, what do I need to do? What needs to happen inside of me? And God says, you know what? I don't have a pill. I have a process. And are you okay with that? Are you okay that you can't open up a prescription and, and pop a pill? And, and God says, no, I've got a process. And here's part of what you have to do. Is you need to understand that I'm going to take you into, I'm going to take you into the wilderness. Here's what The Lord then says to Moses, the Lord sees his people, he sees you. He goes, here's how it's going to work. While you're in the wilderness, here's how I'm going to meet your need. Here's how I'm going to grow you. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough food for that day. Now think about that. 
you are supposed to gather enough food for that one day. That's it. That's the way the process works. If you want to go through the process, it's not a pill, it's a process. Here's what you're going to do. Every single day, I'm going to send you bread. What, what goes on? What resonates in your head? Father, right now, give us this day our daily bread. Father, give us this day our daily bread as Jesus taught us to pray. Okay, oh my goodness, Wait, this, there's connection here, right? In the way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Now, on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And you're going to have to have faith. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other day. So on Saturday, two portions. Because we rest on the Sabbath. We rest on Sunday. So two portions are going to have to be brought in. Now, do you trust this? Do you trust this process? Do you really fundamentally trust this process? Because later on, when, when Moses renews the covenant, when he gives the second giving of the law in the book of, the Deuter- in, in the book of Deuteronomy, here's what he says. He goes, you want to know the, the purpose statement for the wilderness that you were going to go through Westtown? You want to know the purpose statement? At Deuteronomy 8.2, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness for these 40 years. That he what? That he might humble you. That's what you need, Westtown. That's what you need. That, that, you not, you might, uh, that he's going to test you. But he's going to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. 8.16, in the wilderness he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you. Why? To do good for you in the end. Do you believe that? That he would lead you to this place of, of, of hunger and thirst and, and something is actually hap- is happening inside of you. If we were to distill it down, here it is. God uh, next slide. God takes you places you don't want to go to make you the person he wants you to be. It's not what you want, right? But he knows what you need. And so when you think about your process, when you, when you kind of try to take inventory and understand your life, God, what are you doing to me? I do feel like I'm in the wilderness right now, right? I do feel hunger pains. What are you doing? He wants to know you and he wants to humble you and make you the man or the woman of God that he's created you to, to, to be because we know what Paul says in Philippians. He who began a good work in you, he will complete it. He will perfect the work in you. He will not leave you half done. He is going to do it. But the process is, is he is going to bring you into the wilderness. Right? Next verse. Let's keep, let's keep reading on through uh, uh, Exodus 16. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, here's, what, here's more meat on the bones. Here's more of the process. In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of God because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble, who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord as Moses is trying to, hey, I'm just the messenger. 
Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard your grumbling, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. And God does what he says he's going to do. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. So what do we see here? Is that God here, he is going to provide you bread. And he is going to what? He is going to tell you where to find it. That's, that's what he promises you. And, and when you go out daily, what's going to happen what would happen if daily you went and ate the bread of life, right? The, the bread of God. I'm going to give you the word, and daily you needed to come and meet with him. What's going to happen inside of you? Your walk with Jesus is going to grow. If you will get in the word of God and you will not make it, well, I'm going to go to this retreat, right? And retreats are good, right? They're, they're a, a kind of a special time of emphasis, but... Here's what we know, that sanctification happens on a daily level. And he says, if you will discipline yourself and come out and eat from me daily, you know what? I will be there. And as you eat, you know what's going to happen? Your muscles are going to grow. The processes inside you spiritually will begin to grow. And you will become stronger, right? And, And you will know that, you know what? It's not just a means to an end, it's a means for you to be strong. It's literally that you will find life in knowing me, in worshiping me, in just being with me. I mean, it was stunning to me on Friday night. 100, I don't know, 100, 100, maybe 150 high school students are at Sickles High School in the auditorium on a Friday night, and all they are doing is singing praises to God and listening to testimonies, right? They're, they're singing praises. They're worshiping God on a Friday night. Why would 150 high school students waste an entire Friday, cool Friday night by worshiping God? I think it's because as, as they begin to eat and they begin to grow, they recognize, oh, you know, God is not just my vending machine as a means to an end, but God is the point. He is the destination. My, my walk with him is the point. There's nothing like watching a 14 or 15 or 16 or 17-year-old young student just lift their hands to God and sing, Hey, I will sing of your love forever. They are not trying to get something. No one was trying to do anything. All they were doing was being with God. It was the destination. They're not trying to, you know, they, they thought, this is it. I am made for God That's why John wrote his gospel, so that you would know him, and that would be your destination. 
not so I can get through this problem. Sure, you're going to get through problems. Sure, God's going to get you through a ton, but the, the destination he's saying is, you know what? Here's the irony, guys. There's the fertile area of Egypt, and you had everything you wanted, and you didn't have me. But as I bring you out into the wilderness, you won't have anything kind of worldly, but you can have everything. I mean, I, I want to show you this, West Town. I want to show you this. You can be in the wilderness and you can be completely filled up. And this is so counterintuitive, right? It's so counterintuitive to what, um, to what we do. Hey, go get it every single day. And trust on Saturday when you get to, hey, um, you'll you have a day of rest and you'll have enough food. 16, it says this. Other point I want to make about how provision comes. Note what he says in verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, which is about two quarts, okay? An omer is like two quarts. The one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. As you're gathering the provision every day, here's what I want you to do. There's a family of two, right? There's a single man, right? There's a single woman. There's a family of six. There's a family of eight, right? There's three generations of a family, and they live in the same tent. That's a family of 16. What is he saying? He's saying, look, part of, it's not only relational strength between me and you, God says to Israel, it's community strength. You don't do this. You don't gather bread by yourself. You don't. When you gather it, here's what we're going to, you need to know these families and you know how much to give them. it's, It's to give each what's appropriate. In other words, we're doing this in community. We're going to pick up the bread in community. And some of us, you just want to come and get your stuff, right, and get your portion and leave. No. That's not the way it works. When, when God provides, he tells us where to find it and how to get it. And so we do it together. And so we lock arms. And so it meant something, right? When I see, when I see other adults leading my, my kids, my two daughters and my sons in Bible lessons, here's what I know. They get to know them and they care about them. And then they'll like shoot me a text and say, how did Frankie feel about this or, how did Liza feel about that? Or is she okay? And I, and I realized, I'm like, oh my word. Like, I'm so grateful for other families that care about my family. And I realized that I cannot, I only can be a dad. I can't be the village. And the God says, look, as a church, we have to come together and know one another. You have to know my daughter. I have to know your daughter. I need to know who your wife is, and you need to know who my wife is, and we need to do it together and proportionally, hey, dole out this bread. We need to do it in community. And, and so as, as God provides for us, he provides for us, and he says, come get your daily bread, but do it in community. I want you, Hebrews please, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You need the church. You need to regularly meet with the church because a lot of people are stopping going to church. They're not meeting regularly and it's hurting them. Please come together. That's what God is saying to us. 
And so as you think, um, what does it look like for you to be in community? I mean, we have Morgan here. One of the main points of, 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 of his mission here will be to continue to create community, right? To form groups that care about each other and to be more intentional than we've been able to be because we're lacking in this area as a church. It is a weakness of our church and we've got to grow. We've got to get better at this. And, and so, hey, we're putting our resources here so that we can have a point guy and, and a team that comes around and says, hey, we need community. We can't just kind of come in and consume and do this popcorn and kind of here or now, here or later, whatever. No, let's, let's be intentional. Let's do this right. And I feel like that's what he's showing us here in this word. Moses, verse 19, says this, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them didn't believe it, right? They paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots, and it began to smell. And so Moses was angry. He was angry with them. And as we think about God providing the bread and telling us where where to find it, that, that was the point. I, I should have actually had that right before the passage I just read, so it's a little out of order. Sorry about that. <laughs> right? So we're going to continue on verse 21, hit our final point here. So each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. You could not store it up. He wants you to come daily. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day... The Sabbath, there will not be any. And this was a test, right? And so part of the process that God does is he tests us. He puts us through trials, right? And he says, please don't do this. So how do the people of God respond? Right? There's the test. How do people respond? Verse 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it. But they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Now, if this part of this is a test, part of us, we go out into the wilderness, right? And God tests us, right? God God uses these, these, um, the, the means of the wilderness to, to expose certain things. If God is our professor, if that's your mindset, if God is your professor, right, and he hands back your paper, you know what the Israelites get? They fail. F, right? You fail. You failed the test, right? You do not get an A, a B, a C, or even a D. You get an F. And I think... That we have to understand um, God here, but we have to understand God in all of who He is, right? And if God is your professor, then you know what? Um, I don't know um, if you really want to talk to Him after you fail a test. Because I think He's just going to be disappointed with you. And He's going to scowl at you, and He's going to shake His head, and He's going to say, you know what? 
You, re you really don't make the grade, Taylor. You really don't. And obviously, there's a lot of, quote, failures here. But here's the thing. Um, he's not. Uh, in verse, uh, later on in the book of Deuteronomy, I don't have it up here. But here's how Moses uh, talks about um, God. He says, Know then, right, in your heart, that as a father disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. You know, um, a father tests you sometimes too, right? As father, we test our sons or our daughters. But how, what happens after your son or your daughter fails? What do you do to your son or your daughter when you um, see them fail? Um, you say, okay, pal, you blew it, right? But here's the deal. I will never give up on you, son, ever. My patience with you, son, my patience with you, baby girl, will never, ever run out. And you can keep failing until the day you die. But I promise you, I will always be your daddy, no matter what. And I'm going to bring you out here into the wilderness, and we're going to go through some hard things. But I will never, ever stop being your father. And that's what the gospel says to me and to you. And so when you go through this process, right? If you go through this process with um, th this idea that, you know what? Um, if I live right, if I do the right things, then you know what? Um, my life will go okay. Um, and I just need to make sure that I get a passing grade. And some of you walk in here and you think God is that. He is your professor. And that he is, his patience will grow thin to the point where it will be gone. And the gospel tells us he will never, ever, ever leave you. He will never, ever forsake you. If you know that your teacher, your, your God, your father, has endless amounts of patience for you. Yeah, you can abuse that. Some people do that. Some people say, ah, oh, yeah, well, if I know grace is coming no matter what, then I'm going to just do whatever. But I don't think those of us that, you know, have been changed by the gospel, that is not our primary response to that. It's, I can't believe he would do that. I am a knucklehead, and he just forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives. And whatever the Israelites do, they could not out the grace of the Father. They never could out God, ever. And to the point where God says, you know what? No, I, I, I'm going to actually, I'm going to send you um, my son. And you know what I'm going to do after I tell him? <laughs> I tell him to uh, go and start his mission. And the, the heavens opened and God, and God the Father said to Jesus, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. You know where he sent him? To the desert. That's where he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to the desert. Why? To be tempted. And all of the temptation and the trial and the test, you know what Jesus did? He passed perfectly. He didn't even come close to failing. He, he, he was perfect. He was sinless in every way. And here's the gift. That is your mark. That is what you receive, Jesus, right? If you believe in him, right? He went before you, that's your grade. And, and the patience of God 
is, is, is endless because you know what? It has already been, the grade has already come in and it's a straight A. It's an A plus, it's perfection. You know what? If I know that, I can be in the wilderness. All right, God, do your thing. I'm not going to like it. I'm going to complain. I'm going to grumble. and I'm going to act like a, you know, I'm going to act immaturely. But you know what? I know over time when I lock arms with my community and I just let you do, my, do your thing to me, I'm going to be a changed man. Where are you this morning? I know he's working on you. I know he is. And he says, here's how you live. By manna in the morning and by quail at night. Live daily. Come to me. Seek me for your, for your life. And you know what? Um, you will live fully, fully alive abundantly. Where are you? Manna and quail. He wants to change you. He wants to change me. Here's insight. Here's knowledge. Here's peace of mind as God is forming you into the man or the woman that he wants you to be. Let's pray and let's ask God to work in, work in us and on us. God, thank you for being a father who, uh, in spite of our failure, you sent your son to pass that test in the desert. And you've given that to us. May we live in that freedom. And God, may, may we know that you are not impatient. May we know that there's not a scowl on your face. That you love us and that your arms are reached out to us and say, come to me. Know me. We thank you for that love and that grace. And may that allow us to walk through whatever discipline you have for us. Whatever formation that you have us going through right now because I know you're doing some big things on people right now and they need to hear this. They need to hear this, God, to give them hope, to give them faith right now. Thank you for Jesus and what he did on the cross. Point us to that and may we live out of that in your name. Amen.